Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Moneypenny here with The Practical Shooter. And today we have our guest of Kevin Baker. Kevin is part of the Red Hill Tactical Shooting Team and uh, has been pretty committed the last few years to shooting. Welcome aboard, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Kevin, whatever you want the audience to know. Well, I'm production shooter, um, Red Hole Tactical sponsor, uh, shoot a Tanfolio Stock 2, um, currently B-class, uh, very mediocre <laughs> shooter. Um, you know, we we're talking about, you know, level of commitment. I've been, you know, I got into USPSA shooting customer of mine. Uh, would come to work, have his car worked on. We'd talk about guns. You know, he knew I was a gun guy. I knew he was a gun guy. He had Thunder Ranch sticker on the back of his truck. So we'd talk about stuff like that. And he, one day he's asked me, he goes, you know, Hey, what are you doing Saturday? And I said, well, I'm actually off. He's okay. Meet me at this gun range, 7:30. bring your gun, your holster, some extra magazines and 200 rounds of ammo. So what are we going to do? So we're going to have fun. Uh, <laughs> and we did. And I just, you know, decided to do more of it and have enjoyed it since. That's probably six years now that I've been been doing this and enjoying it. So what do you do for a day job? I'm a service advisor at the second largest Toyota dealership in the United States, Fred House Toyota World in uh, Spring, Texas, suburb of Houston. So oh. you bring me your car when there's something wrong with it. And I translate what you tell me is wrong with it to what the technician needs to know. And they tell me what's needed to be done to fix it. And I tell you how much it's going to cost. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, that's awesome. That That's always very cool. I have a few friends that are actually service advisors. A couple of them for, well, he used to be with Subaru. And then one of them that is with Ford, um, which I have, I have tons of jokes about any kind of car. Okay. I have a car myself. <laughs> Um, so do you primarily just shoot USPSA? Have you, have you tried anything else or is that your jam? I've shot a couple IDPA local or, you know, outlaw IDPA style, like indoor matches. And, you know, I, I guess I didn't give it enough of a chance really. And after a couple of technical difficulties, we're back with Kevin Baker. <clears throat> so you got a guy got you into shooting from uh, your shop, and how the, how did things go after that? You shot your first match. Were you were you hooked like cocaine or? Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. It was <laughs> it was it was hook line. I mean, it was hook line and sinker. I, I was done. I was like, okay, if I can figure out a way to you know do this once a month, this would be awesome. And, and I just started looking like online and USPSA and, uh, I think even on Facebook, I think I, I was looking and I found a couple other places where there were matches and showed up to one like two weeks later and got my first DQ, um, which, you know, was, you know, pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so, so and then you know, it's like, I got to figure out a way to do this all the time. So tell us about your DQ. That's a lot of things people don't like to talk about, but uh, I know a lot of podcasts and shows and stuff where people have 
And there's two kinds of people out there, those who have been DQ'd and those who will be DQ'd. Exactly. hundred um, percent. It, it was, I think it was probably the second or third match that I shot. And the uh, way they had the stage set up, there was like a long shooting area, long fence, targets downrange. You could engage from either side of the fence and or wall. And then, you know, kind of targets at the at the corner. Well, going into the other side of the wall, I realized I ran past one of the targets. You know, it wasn't really behind me, but it was behind me enough. And so I, you know, just kind of turned and engaged it and heard stop. And I was like, okay. And uh, Carlos, still see him every now and then. Uh, I said, you know why I stopped you? No, no idea. <laughs> he said, you broke 180. I was like, oh, okay. I, I knew what it meant, but I just didn't realize mm-hmm. I'd done it. So. So they actually have a rule against that now in our rule book. We're not allowed to set up targets that can be seen past the shooting area. As far okay. as. Okay, so hypothetically, so this this is exactly how I got DQ'd my first time too, except my DQ was about 10 matches in and it was my first Area 8 championship that was right on the back of nationals that they had at this same range. So it was a, it was a kind of like a big show. It was a big deal kind of match. Right. And I was, I was a C-class shooter, but I was coming on B and I was expecting to win production because this was like Oh three or four. Um, there weren't any, there wasn't any heat in production at that time. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and uh, I get in there and I do exactly what you did. I, I actually had a stumble on my reload. Like I, I hit, the edge of the gun and it like slid off. So I stuck the gun in and I was moving at the same time and like 182 degrees. Um, I put two in the edge of a target. Um, and I went to, to take a step back to take off and I yell, I hear stop and I'm like, what? And he's like, you broke 180. And I'm like, Oh, I, I, well, I guess I did. If I shot the target from where I was standing, but you know it was one of those things so now um we're supposed to put a either the target in an angle or put a barricade or no shoot or something so that when you get to like 178 it like disappears right okay um i just learned that in the uh ro and cro courses i just took them a couple weeks apart there so yeah we're not supposed to set up things that allow shooters to get dq'd easily which i think is really cool it seems like um, it seems like our sport's taken a turn towards helping the shooter get through the match, not looking for a reason to remove them. Exactly, exactly, um, exactly. And I'm and I I'm you know a hundred percent on the on the safety aspect of it. Like I, <clears throat> I uh, I was helping RO. I was running a running a shooter at one of the local matches. I'm not certified, but I was you know I mean I've Anyway, so it was a fairly new shooter. This was maybe his first or second match. He had done, I think, maybe like one or two of the introductory type matches that this range does or this club does. And it was a retreat stage. And from where he was standing, when he reloaded, he broke 180. 
and he was not, you know, he was not beyond 180 degrees from the target. So he was still behind the target, but the target was at a 45 degree angle to the backstop and he was squared to the target. So as him being mm-hmm. a right shooter, he's squared to that targets, 45 degrees. He goes to reload his gun and he's beyond 180. So I stopped him and explained to him, you know, if you had been facing downrange, engaging that target and reloaded the gun, you've still been, you know, well under 180. So he kind of grasped the concept from there. And he was, he was, you know, real, real good sport about it. Yeah. I've had to a few times. Um, actually, I had to DQ a young lady that was her first match and I was in my CRO class. Um, and it was one of those things where the target was close to the 180 and it was a retreat stage um, or retrograde, depending upon which, which guy, which guy is telling the story. <laughs> uh, and she looked to see where she was going and her muzzle took that extra like five degree turn. Yeah. And I, you know, it was, it was sad, but she learned and um, I, I'm one of those guys that uh, I'm a match director. I've been at RO and CRO for years, so I hate to DQ anybody because I know how I felt the first time, couple of times I got DQ'd. <laughs> um, I've been DQ'd, I don't know, three or four times easily. And it's not that I, most of them aren't like safety violations. Like I threw a shotgun into a barrel. And this is like a, I'm six foot three. So I have like a 12, 13 round tube on my shotgun. Right. Shotgun is not light. It goes into the barrel. And I'm like, you know, I, I look it in, you know, you know, the safety thing, safety on, look it in, throw it in the barrel, take off. And as I look back, you the gun's just out. levitating right back up out of the barrel. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> and, you know, if, even if you catch it, it's still. <laughs> yeah. And finally, I got. I, I wasn't sure where I could catch it, so I just let it hit the ground and put my head down. Yeah. And I looked over at the RO and said, "Stop!" Right? <laughs> <laughs> he's just laughing. Yes. Yeah, stop. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll I'll unload it now, and uh, yeah. So so stuff like that. Um, and th- there are there are reasons to be DQ that aren't massive safety stuff, but, um, I have also shot a ton of matches. Um, but I have a kind of have a dumb question on that. Um, would you be an, a certified RO if you did not have to take an entire weekend off for the class would be my better question. It's, uh... I don't necessarily know that it's the time aspect or the money aspect of it. I, I just, I, I think sometimes in my mind, if I'm a certified RO, I should be held to the higher accountability of knowledge that goes along with it. And I'm concerned maybe I wouldn't, you know, maybe I wouldn't always be prepared to say this is my call and this is why. Mm-hmm. Does that okay. make sense? But you still work and do RO stuff at local matches. 
I, I, I will run the tablet, you know, and you know, depending on if it's a low turnout at a, at a local match and, you know, there's, you know, five people on the squad, you know, and we all know each other, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to probably run a couple of the shooters. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And I, I, the reason I'm asking is I'm just kind of curious because as you know, the office I'm running for, there's a lot of, there's a lot of heat about which, which way we should go with our RO programs and stuff like that. Yep. Um, so. And I think the RO program is really good. The, you know, I, I think it is really good. Um, I think it is, you know, very consistent in the way the rules are applied. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the people that, you know, I know locally, the, <clears throat> the people who, you know, are all ROs, you know, are, you know, none of them are power tripping, hungry, you know, I'm an RO thumping yeah. my chest and, you know, what you did was, you know, not correct and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I don't, you know, I'm fortunate. We don't have to put up with a lot of that here in the South Texas. Yeah. So I look at, um, oh, I just, of course I just took the RO and CRO class again, because I let my, my certifications lapse by I don't know, a decade or two. <laughs> uh, the first time I took my RO class was just, you know, I wanted to learn more about the sport. I did not want to work. Um, as I moved on in life, I had to work, but because, you know, I had my M card, I was working with a guy that was really squared away, um, as a CRO, he knew I wasn't going to make mistakes that I wouldn't, you know, any more than anyone else, everybody made mistakes. Um, he was, he was confident in me and I had worked as a, as helping him at matches a lot. So, uh, I just kind of skated through and I, I did go and take another class in like 2008. Um, but then I got a class at, at that whole written test thing and send it back in. And at the time I was traveling and it just never got done. Right. Uh, but I took the class again and I, I learned a lot, but I also observed all the other people in the room and there was probably, well, there was like 24, 25, I think in the, in the RO class. And I'm going to say that two thirds of them were overwhelmed by the amount of information provided in the RO class. Right. Um, so one of the things I got to thinking, you know, how can we, how can we make this a better class? And I think what really that come down to, and of course, there's a lot of people that want us to go online only, and that's that's not that's not practical at all in any way. Yeah. Because of what happens in that class with your, you know, your nomenclature, being able to see things, feel things, Mm -hmm. uh, have somebody critique you doing that. So what what my idea was, was, you know, let's do like a, an RO mentoring program. And, you know, we'll start out with a couple of online classes that are about two hours a piece that just cover the safety stuff, not foot faults, not any of the other stuff. And that teach you the other range commands, how to run a timer and implement that. So then you can work with another RO. You can either, you know, everybody works different with different people. Just pick a buddy. And if you are RO, you know, X amount of shooters or whatever, um, then when you start going into the actual RO class, 
which could possibly be a little shorter. We might be able to shorten it to a day. It'd be a long day. Right. But, uh, it could save a motel and stuff like that. Yeah. But then when you would get into that, people would absorb so much more. Yeah, because they'd have the basic. Right. So that was that was kind of one of my ideas, but I didn't mean to get on the rant because this is all about you. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, no, and and absolutely. I mean, I that's you know that I I think some of those ideas and some of those different approaches to things are things that are going to be needed moving forward in the in the organization to keep you know to keep a certain degree of freshness, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, you know, it, it's. You know, there, you know, some of the rule changes and, you know, it, it just, I, I, I almost see a disparity between, you know, the, the everyday person or the person who is trying to get into this sport and, you know, the people who've been involved with it for 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think there, I think that gap could be closed. I absolutely agree yeah, because we all want the same thing. We want to go out. We want to shoot our guns. We want to have fun. Um, <clears throat> so I, I've met people from all walks of life on a shooting range and all ages of life on a shooting range. So it's very humbling to realize, you know, that you, you may be standing there. Uh, one guy that I used to shoot with, uh, the guy couldn't hardly walk. He shot Glocks. He had more. He owned a Lamborghini. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, why are you shooting Glock? I don't know. I just like him. Yeah. And he compared, and I couldn't understand why he was shooting. So one day I'm like, you know, I got a question for you, sir. And he's like, what's that? I'm like, I know you're a doctor, but, you know, you kind of walk with a, a little bit of a limp and, and you move kind of slow. And he said, well, let me tell you something, you know, you know, you've, you've seen me, you've seen my Lamborghini in town and you've talked to me about it before. And I have a Viper too. And a few years ago I was racing a car and what everybody tells me is that something happened in the middle of that turn and my car ended up in the tires over there upside down. Now, I don't remember any of that. I just remember waking up in the hospital. And apparently he was a semi-pro race car driver, a pretty good one. Right. Uh, but and he just liked shooting. So I talked to him. He was actually a phenomenal neurosurgeon. Um, but you, you meet all kinds of people. I would have never met him if it hadn't been for shooting. Um, so it, it just, it, it, it's broadens kind of your horizons to other people. And like, like I think you said, I think we have this disparity can be overcome with a little bit of work. And kind of allow everybody to see each other's way. Yeah. Um, so, how long have we been sponsored by Red Hill Tactical? This is my third year. 2020, uh, okay. 2022 is my third year. So, how did you find them? They find you? or um, I found them. Um, Kim Tran um, actually is a, is a local shooter, a friend of mine. And I asked her, you know, I, I think I saw something about them accepting applications uh, for shooters. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to Kim and asked her and she's like, oh, Robert's wonderful. And, 
you know, and I think I, I think at that point I had already purchased a holster and was using it, or maybe I hadn't, I may not have, have done that at that point, but, um, but you know, that was her encouragement. You know, she said, yeah, you know, absolutely. It's great, you know, great team to be on. Robert's wonderful. He's, you know, does so much for everything, everybody. And so I said, okay. And filled out the application and sent it in and Robert said, welcome aboard. That's awesome. Um, so do are, are you sponsored by any of the other tertiary sponsors that we have that, that come along with the team or just no, tactical just, or have just Red Hill tactical. Okay. Um, so what, uh, what are your, your personal goals in competitive shooting? Um, Prior to August of 21, I would have told you that my goal for 22 was to uh, get master in production. Uh, you know, that's still, you know, I, I don't know how hard I will work and focus at achieving that. Uh, that's, you know, that's actually when I, when I met my girlfriend. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's why I say prior to August, uh, you know, that's, that was, that was my goal, but, uh, you know, now, now my goal is to, is, is to shoot some majors and have a good time, you know, shooting and, you know, working on what I feel like I can work on. Um, you know, a friend of mine, Tom Castro said that you, uh, you, you earn your trophies in practice and you pick them up at the match. Um, you know, I don't know how many trophies I'm going to earn this year. <laughs> I certainly, you know, when I got back from the Alabama sectional, people asked me as well, how'd the match go? And I was like, well, it went exactly the way it should have gone. And they're like, oh, really? What do you mean? And I'm like, well, I didn't practice. I didn't touch my gun for two weeks before I even left. Uh, you know, there was a local the Sunday before I left and it was just too cold. I didn't feel like getting out in the cold and rain to go shoot. And so I didn't. And you know, hadn't dry fired, hadn't practiced, hadn't done anything for, you know, a couple of weeks prior to the match. And so, you know, yeah, my, uh, <laughs> my 44% <laughs> was, so my, was well earned. <laughs> my question is how do we get her into shooting? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I can afford that. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my fiance actually, uh, she encouraged me to get back into shooting back in like 2012 or 13 or something like that. Uh, right after I came to the realization that no matter how good of a driver I was, someone could buy a faster car. Um, and <clears throat> I told her, it's, it's not like that in shooting. You know, it's more of a, it's the Indian, not the arrow that they're throwing type of thing. Right. So, uh, I actually got her to shoot a little steel challenge match that I put on about a year ago and she enjoyed it. So I'm like, I can afford for her to shoot 22. Yeah. <laughs> I just got to keep go. her away from the center fires. Yeah. There, well, that's, that's a, that's a thought. You know, another thing you, you just said that, you know, to me is just, I find really, really fascinating. I did, uh, SECA autocross for a number of years uh, when mm -hmm. I was in my early mid twenties, and I forgot who else I was talking to, um, or you know something about motorsports. I mean, there's just so many. I think there's I think there's so many parallels between 
the two sports, you know, between motorsports and, and, and shooting sports that it just attracts a lot of the same people. I know, you know, Tim Heron used to autocross yep. quite well. Very good. Uh, <laughs> and he was a, a national champion <laughs> at that mm-hmm. too. But, um, but yeah, just, it's, it, what kind of racing did you do? Anything I could get to. Um, <laughs> I have a 98 Trans Am and an 01 Vet and a 2000 Trans Am WS6. I did some drag racing. Uh, I never got real fast, you know, close to 10s. Yeah. Uh, had a good fr- a friend of mine that, you know, he had a he had a slightly newer vet than I did. And I almost beat him at a, mat, at a, a little flashlight drag, drag race. Right. And this guy taught me some very important lessons in life. One, money beats everything. Uh, <laughs> um, so he goes out and uh, he, he had a C6 I have a, a C5 which the C6 is about 50-ish more horsepower I put a set of headers on mine and tuned it so I come in like within a foot of him we were bumper to bumper at the 8th mile Yeah, and he decided he was having fun with that but he wanted a car to be faster so that the weekend that this was on a Sunday the weekend after that, he had sold his C his C six and bought a C six Z O six. Meanwhile, I, you know, it's easier to wrench than it is to. It's cheaper to wrench on stuff than it is to buy stuff. So I had put a yep. heads and cam and stuff in mine. Uh, well, not over the week, but over the next few weeks, and yep. we get out, and I'm a little bit behind him. I'm, he's about a, you know, about the rear fender or so of him, and he looks at me. Goes, what the hell did you do to that car? <laughs> like, set of K Tech heads and a cam that you know, I got the heads off of eBay and the cam I've had for a while, but I need bigger heads to be able to put the cam on. And uh, he's like, wow, that's awesome. Like, two weeks later, he's got a set of heads and cam in his car. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, how, how did you do that? How'd you learn how to do that? He said, oh, I just I, I, I had the, such and such that owns your shop to do it. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. Stroked out a check. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he later took that thing and ran a 10-2 in the quarter mile. So shortly after that, we'd all got on the interstate, and he's like, I thought I'd pull harder on you guys. I'm like, well, you know, it just it's kind of uphill. You know, not that big of a deal. He gets in a race with an Evo. Um, and the Evo... If you look up on YouTube, it's called See Ya Bye. Yeah. The Evo waves at him, rolls up his window, and leaves him. <laughs> the vet that is being driven is a 10-2 quarter mile time vet. Yeah. And the the car I happen to know, it was built by Busher Racing. <laughs> and it was copied after one of their shop cars. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that Corvette was gone, and there was a supercharged C6 Z06. <laughs> and then I go to an autocross meet, and I'll try to shorten this up so I'm not you know, yapping. And I have a friend of mine. He's got a, a C6, and I'm running my C5. We've got Hoosiers on them. Both of us are pulling. I mean, it's autocross. It's, you know, it's, it's parking lot racing, so to speak. Yep. Both of us are pulling a G. Um, he's just pulling a little harder and a little faster out of the corners. Um, and he, he can break a little bit better, but if he makes mistakes, I could still get him. Yep. 
guy shows up in a C7 Corvette, bone stock, and hangs with us. And I'm like, we have race tires on, man. I mean, you know how much difference that makes doing autocross. Oh, yeah. And he looks over. He said, yeah, I just I just bought the car. I mean, the guy was a good driver. He wasn't he wasn't a new new guy. But I'm like, right. but man, you're you're on Michelin's. Yeah. <laughs> We're on Hoosiers. Yeah. <laughs> so I go home and Google. Apparently, the C7 has an electronic center differential that helps the traction. And it can pull 1.2 Gs with factory tires with the z51 configuration yep saying and that's and that's the the crazy thing about you know about that is it was always you know there was always one more you know one more this or one more that you know Mm -hmm. okay you know i'm gonna you know i'm gonna change this i'm gonna change that and uh you know and so i i I got out of out of the autocross when the when the kids came along because you know the kids yeah. take that kind of money. So, oh yeah, and yeah. my thing was is I I was right at the precipice where you couldn't you couldn't drive the car to the track anymore. Yeah, and I couldn't afford a good truck. Let's just be honest. <laughs> I have a trailer. My dad has a truck, but I couldn't afford a truck just to go all over the country and autocross with. Yeah. And most importantly, I like to drive my car. I don't want to ride in a truck and go drive my car for 20 minutes. Yeah. And <laughs> ride in a truck for another eight hours. Yeah. So uh, I'm like, you know what? Let autocrossers autocross. So after that, I did a few high performance driving events. Now I do co- uh, road rallies and car cruises and stuff. Um, I run with the 412 rally group whenever I'm doing that kind of stuff. So hit at 412 rally. Uh, They do a lot of cool stuff, just very spirited drives through the countryside. And they do a few events where, you know, you're, you have 20 other cars. Um, It's kind of like motorcycle cruises, but they're definitely spirited. They're not, you know, no, 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 no slow granny driving. Yeah. Uh, Unless we're behind, you know, motorcycles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah. Um, you said you had signed up for some majors. And what I love about majors is the fact that, you know, they provide a, a larger mental level of practice and allow you to kind of grade yourself with more consistency than what a, a, a local match does. Cause you can have it on day and just whip up on some local boys. But if you got more than five stages, sometimes it switches. Yeah. <laughs> So, which matches are you planning on shooting in 2022? Um, area three, just because it's always, you know, it's always looked like a really fun match. Um, you know, every I'm year, sorry. see people posting videos from area three, and it's like, okay, I've got to go next year. And, you know, something happens, I forget about it, whatever, you know, and it's like, oh man, I missed it. And so this year, I said, I'm going. And so I signed up. Uh, <laughs> I think Matt's going to make it a good match, uh, but he's not going to do the circus stuff that Sterling used to do. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But and you know, and it's it. But like I said, it's one of those one of those things. You know, where I've always said, you know, okay, I want to I want to go shoot this match, and mm-hmm. you know, like you said, I mean, it's you know, there's a different level of competition. There's a different yeah. level of people there. Um, <clears throat> 
and uh you know that's it, it is it's 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 a way for you to get a better or more accurate idea of where you truly are you know in your classification you know mm-hmm. you can you know say you know i'm b class shooter well you know you you know might go to another part of the country and you know stages are set up differently people you know you shoot with different people and you know you see a whole different whole different approach to it and a whole different way of you know approaching it and uh so area three is coming up um texas open which is here locally and it's a two-day it's a level uh, level two match um so that'll be nice i don't have to travel for that and then Gator and Area Four, which I go to Gator, try to go to Gator every year. Area Four, I went three years ago and haven't been able to make it back, but um, got one of the Red Hill spots this year, so definitely going to get. Yeah, Red Hill, um, they do put out slots to their their team members and. Surprisingly, I, I'm, the more people don't jump on them quicker than what they do, but that's uh, that's one of the things that I think is really cool. And I haven't shot a lot of matches because I just, you know, I've kind of stepped back from taking slots and let everybody else take them, you know? Right. Because <laughs> um, I want to see, you know, the new shooters and the people that haven't had the chance to go shoot, you know, an area match and stuff like that to be able just to get out and, and do that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's... I always tell people if you're shooting like a major every month or two there, that that's a pretty full schedule. Yeah. And they, they do take a lot more time and effort away from you. And they, they do take a couple of days to recover from. <laughs> um, are you doing anything special to prepare for them or. Um, I am. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I started back this week, lifting weights four days a week. Um, just start dry firing realistically dry firing four nights a week uh (laughs) try to get to live fire practice once a week plus you know whatever local matches i'm going to shoot um but you know the weather that we had down here kind of rained out my practice today so i didn't well it actually the weather cleared before i could have gone but i just hadn't hadn't planned on it once the once the weather was doing what it was doing I will say that uh, sometimes it's it's a good idea to practice in the rain just because uh, I think it was 08. Yeah, 2008, Mud Bowl 1. It was jokingly what we called it. <laughs> I had I had somehow been blessed. I shot I was shooting 20-some majors that year. And I shot every – I shot 19 of them in the sunshine. <laughs> the one I did not – was nationals oh wow and it was three inches of mud it rained all five days <laughs> and it was that's like a normal that's like a normal magic gator <laughs> yeah so after that I, I i was so mad at myself that the next year every time it rained i would put my gear on and go outside yeah and my parents thought I was nuts. My fellow competitors thought I was absolutely insane. And after, I don't know, probably about six or seven practice sessions doing that, I started to realize something. It didn't matter. Yeah, the, the ground's a little slipperier. 
but those who did not shoot in the rain were Wait. intimidated by it. Yeah. So it was hilarious because I had friends at the time. I was competing with them. And they'd be, you know, 5 to 10% ahead of me. And it'd rain, and I'd be dead even or beat them. And they're like, <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? And I'm like, <laughs> I wouldn't tell them. I'm like, I like the rain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, wow, because it makes you shoot like crap. <laughs> well, see, and I, and the, the truth was, the, it didn't bother me anymore. Yeah, and I practiced in the rain. You know, oh, before yeah. I, I don't, I don't usually let that dissuade me. We had to, there were supposed to be some pretty severe thunderstorms overnight, and so I was going to say, and and this time of year, it's a, it's probably a bad idea to practice in the rain because of thunderstorms and the rain is really cold where I'm at. Right. But yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> It's all. It's always fun because you you never know. Uh, what was it that you shot in Alabama, right? Which which yeah. day did you shoot? Saturday. So you shot in rain day or wind day? Uh, wind day. Okay, because <laughs> there was rain day, wind day, and uh, sunny day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, we 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 shot Saturday, and you know, got to the range seven thirty. It was you know there were snow flurries and. Yeah. Yeah. It was cold. And that's, you know, I, I blame part of that because I was just tense from trying to stay warm and, you know, so I, you know, anyway, hindsight's 2020. <laughs> yeah. You always tell people you can learn things from every match. You learn more when you don't win. Yep. Um, so current events, uh, <clears throat> obviously we're about to be in the middle of a presidential election. What would you like to see out of a USPSA president? Transparency, you know, first and first and foremost, I think, you know, I think a lot of the things um, that happened in the, in the, in the, in the past, you know, there were some questions whether there were all ulterior motives to it, or, you know, was there, you know, some benefit to a certain individual, um, you know, from, from things that went on. Um, definitely, definitely, um, professionalism. Um, you know, any, you know, I work with the public every day, so, you know, it's real easy for, for me to be able to tell when somebody's trying to bait me into, mm -hmm. into an argument. And, you know, if, uh, if I'm going to maintain my composure and my professionalism, I'm going to, uh, make sure that I'm, you know, that I'm, that I'm not responding to that. Now, I, I don't, I don't necessarily know I wasn't there. So I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, is oh, that yeah. what happened? Is that not what happened? Um, you know, I know both of the, both of the people involved, but, you know, I just, it, it, the president should act a certain way. And, you know, regardless of the circumstances, that wasn't the way. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, and then, you know, I had, you know, you hear through the social media and things that people say or don't say, you know, they, uh, you know, talk about maybe limiting access to certain, you know, to major matches to, you know, people who maybe hold a certain classification or, you know, a, a, an award based, you know, you know, this is a, you know, this should be a, a championship match. You know, not everybody should be able to just shoot. Um, 
completely disagree with that. Um, you know, me too. I, uh, you know, and to a degree, I mean, I see, I can see both sides of it. I can see both sides of it. I can see, you know, where, you know, you say, you know, well, you know, if you're one of the top competitors and, you know, your area, you know, and you don't get to go to nationals because, you know, you didn't sign up in time or whatever, you know, whatever. I mean, I know USPSA awards certain number of slots, you know, based on performance mm-hmm. and, you know, then the rest of us can show up if we, you know, decide to spend the money. <laughs> and yes. I like that idea. Now I, I will clear up one thing. The, 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 I won a slot or I got a slot. You still spend the money. It's the same price as your slot. Yeah. Except it's, it's I don't have guaranteed to, to go, go if you spend the money. Yeah. I don't have to go beg a, uh, a section or a, uh, a sponsor or something else or, or, or get accidentally maybe get waitlisted or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're yeah. definitely going, but yeah. And, but that's the thing is the access to it. I think everybody needs to, you know, have access to it because if you're really going to advance in this and if it's something you want to do, you have to be able to go do that. If you're going to want to figure out how to do better at it. Exactly. How would you get the master if you couldn't go shoot the big matches? Yeah. I think that would be a massive barrier and, uh, you know, I can, I can see some matches not awarding D class or something like that because I mean, I've actually been a D class shooter for a month and a half because that's how long it took them to put in classifiers. The first <laughs> classifier that I shot and the first two or three, it was snowing sideways and it was the first matches I ever shot. <laughs> so it doesn't take folks long to get out of that. Um, but yep. to to penalize any shooter above that, um, and I'm not saying we should penalize D-class shooters. I'm just saying that if you penalize any classification of shooter to not allow them to a match, you're going to run a big risk of not filling up the match, uh, creating yep. an a, a elitist mm-hmm. type part of that. And you know the, that's one of the things I love about this sport is – it's a sport for everybody. You know, I'm not famous like Jerry Mecklick. I can't shoot like Todd Jarrett. If it, if it had been for Todd Jarrett, I might not even be in the shooting sport because he did a demo here in my local County. And then he pointed me to a local USPSA club. And that right there was the, you know, the first dose of heroin. I've still, <laughs> I've still not kicked it and it's been 22 years. Right. <laughs> so uh, it, it's, I think I think the sport should remain open to pretty much everyone, and if if match if people want matches like that, there's no reason they can't have those matches. But I don't think it's going to be the organization's national match. Yeah, um, I mean the Infinity Open is having their own match, their own yep. way with a division that doesn't exist. Yep, uh, that's out there and it's available. And I hope to work it and I hope to shoot it. Um, that said, it's it's their freedom to run their match however they want to. And if you want to make a hard match, an easy match, or whatever, but I don't feel that our nationals and our area matches and stuff should be they should be membership. They, they if, you should. Make, if you want to make a match just for somebody special or a certain group, go for it. That that's awesome. We appreciate you making that match. But at the same time, will it even will it fill up? Will it do this or that? And it may. Uh, so there's uh 
there's also the Extreme European Open, which there's a few, I think a set of matches. I think it moves around, and they're a slightly higher priced entry fee, but you also get more out of that. But they're actually a uh, a for profit idea or a for profit for profit business model, right? Uh, and uh, hey, I'm for that. I'm, I'm not saying that we should make our nationals a for profit business model, but as this sport grows, and I really do feel that if we cultivate our, our clubs, market ourselves just a little bit, that we're going to, I mean, we're growing. A year ago, um, I hope I haven't said this on too many podcasts, but a year or so ago, um, my fiance said, if you're going to run for president, I want to join and support you. And that was right after she shot the steel challenge match. So I said, that's awesome. Um, I couldn't afford to buy her a gun right then. So I bought her USPSA membership (laughs) (laughs) and I paid attention to what that was. Well, after that, um, this spring we have a, we had a, a, a steel challenge match. We actually had one in January and I started to schedule another one and I had a friend of mine and, and competitor that come up and said, Hey man, uh, I used to be a three gun nation member when you guys were running three gun nation clubs. What do I got to do to join this USPSA thing? I said, just go to their website. He's like, yeah, about that. The link you posted, I couldn't get it to work. Nothing worked quite right. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, he said, I, you know, I'm not a computer guy or anything. And he said, I have my wife helping me, but we just got frustrated and gave up. And I said, i tell you what, Roy, um, do you want to join USPSA? Do you want the magazine or not? And as I'm, and I'm a lot of times I'll be answering messages while I'm talking to some of my friends, the ones that it doesn't bother. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, like, I I don't really need a magazine. Heck, I don't read too much anyway. I'm always busy. Okay. And I asked him a a few other things and he kind of looked at me. So are you going to look at me when you're talking to me? And I'm like, yeah, um, give me 25 bucks. (laughs) And he looks at me like I'm, why would I give you 25 bucks? I'm like, here's your membership. <laughs> because you're, this, is your, this is your member number. You've got an email confirming that. Oh, <laughs> hell, hell yeah, man. And he hands it to me. And I noticed that member number was more than a thousand numbers higher than my fiance's. Wow. And that's like in the last eight months. And I walked in to my CRO class and I, looked at one of the, some of the members there and I noticed one of their L numbers that there's been like five or 600 life memberships in that length of time. And I'm like, this really your number. You didn't screw that up. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, why? Because right. You know, I, I, I'm a commitment person. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do my best to do it the best that I can. So I looked at the requirements to be USPSA president and in my mind, I'm preparing for that. So it says, I have to be a life member. Some people say, well, I'll join, I'll be a life member when I get elected. And I'm like, well, if I got to be a life member to be president, you know, yeah. instead of renewing it $45, here's 500 and I don't have to worry about that now or Every. ever again. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I walked in and the guy's like, yeah, that's my real number. I'm like, dude, I'm L5140. And he's like, well, I'm L6 something. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I think it was 5651 or something like that. But anyhow, it was, it, we, we've gotten a few hundred members, uh, life members. 
So we are growing. And I think with just a little bit of work, things are going to grow crazy and we'll retain people. So that will allow, I mean, in, in the D.C. area, uh, I took my, my RO class up at uh, York and there's like a match every weekend. And there are so many matches that you literally have an hour to register. Yeah. If not, it's full. Yep. Well, there's, there's um, almost every, well, there's pretty much a match within an hour and a half of where I am every weekend for sure. Sometimes there are, you know, sometimes there'll be one on Saturday and one on Sunday. And almost every week there's at least two indoor matches during the week. Wow. So, I mean, I need to move, you know, I mean, you could, and, and, you know, to your point, like the, the, the match that, um, actually the match this Sunday, the club that puts that one on, um, if you don't just know that you need to sign up, (laughs) you know, (laughs) if you wait until, you know, the week of, you know, I guarantee you that match is full right now. That's awesome. And, um, you know, and it, you know, and it's a, and it's a good quality, it's a good quality match. I mean, they, you know, they, they do good stages and, you know, great turnout. There's, um, you know, I think there's probably four or five people who actually shoot production. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Periopics has just made it so easy and so much fun that it's like nobody wants to handicap themselves anymore. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, you know, friends of mine, you know, that, that, you know, Scott, he's constantly, constantly, constantly put a dot on that gun, put a dot on that gun, put a dot on that gun. (laughs) And I'm like, no, Scott, I'm not putting a dot on the gun. It's like, it's, you know, I'm, I can, I'm, yeah, I'm 54 years old, like, but I can actually see the front side of the gun. So until that changes, you know, I'm not really even going to consider it. I like to do one thing. I'm stubborn you know, I don't want to change anything, but, uh, with, with that many matches and them filling up, um, let's just say in that, in that area, we were to to pump in another 200 shooters. Okay. How long do you think it would take for a club to go, you know, what's your, just, just out of curiosity, what's your general match fee around there for a local? Uh, $30. Okay, that's what I charge here. There's some places that charge twenty. If I told you for fifty dollars, I will feed you lunch, and all the class winners will get a free match. Oh yeah. And they're like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "Okay, so let's say you win B class production this week. You know, if there's if there's three people here at least that shoot production in B class, then next two weeks from now or next month." you'll get a free match. Well, most of the people I know are going to go, Oh heck yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd still, you know, I'd, I'd still spend that kind of money. I'd still spend $50. I think there's going to be a cultural shift to a little nicer matches in those areas. And that those matches will fill up. And the, the ones let's say with less customer service or less, whatever, will still shoot. They'll have more place to shoot at some of the other matches. Yeah. So I think that, I think that we're going to have a dichotomy 
change in the next three to five years with an influx of shooters in certain areas. I mean, there's already people that are, they're, they're having matches with, and I asked this one club, I said, uh, which match do you guys go to? And I said, well, we, we try to sign up for this one, but if we can't make it in that one, we go to this one. And I'm like, so there's one of them on Sunday or something? I'm like, no, they're both on the same day because yeah. there's no longer, there's more than eight matches happening. Um, so therefore they're, they're out of days <laughs> to yeah. have matches. And somebody decided, you know, we're just a little bit further from the rest of the clubs. We're going to run it on the same day as this other club across town. And it's working for them. You know, they're still getting 50, 60 shooters. Yeah. Um, well, see, there's enough ranges and, you know, I mean, because there's, there's, I mean, there's enough ranges that have clubs that hold USPSA matches to where if there were more shooters here, say 200, you know, put, you know, use your number, um, that, you know, they could both schedule a match and probably fill them up. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I, some of the people that I see at the, you know, at Brazos land, which is out towards Navasota are the same people that, you know, on Sunday that shot Saturday at PSC in Pearland. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's a hundred miles yeah. away. Those two, those two ranges are a hundred miles away, a hundred plus miles away from each other. And what do you call your home club? Or do you have, or do you have a couple of them that you are? I really have. There's really, there's really three or four clubs that I try to shoot every match they have, you know, Brazos land pistoleros, which is out in Navasota, um, generational practical shooters, which shoot at, uh, Wallace orchard. Um, and then Wallace orchard practical shooters, and then Galveston Rifle and Pistol Club. Um, that's, you know, four Sundays. <laughs> that's awesome. So is there anything that you would change at this point about the about USPSA, about practical shooting? Let's open the can of worms of 15 rounds in production. Okay. Um, you know, it's... You know, you could, I've, I've seen, I think what somebody, somebody, you know, said low cap irons, low, low cap optics, high cap irons, high cap optics, um, and then PCC, you know, um, which, you know, that might have some merit. Um, I know uh, Ipsic, did Ipsic ever go back to 15 rounds in production? Yes. Yeah. IPSC is a currently 15 round production division. Yeah. And you know, there, you could, you know, you could say, well, if you want, you know, shoot high cap, you know, shoot carry optics, you know, cause you're basically the same gun, you're high capacity, but you know, you're using a dot instead of iron sight. So you're going to be going faster, but you know, with the, with the magazine that you can use and carry optics, you can, you know, creatively get 22, 23, um, you know, which, you know, if you've got, you know, 22 round stage, 20 round stage, you don't have any magazine changes. If you're shooting a 32 round stage, you're going to have, <laughs> you know, at least a magazine change, maybe two. I don't know. It's, it, you know, part of the, part of the attraction to production for me has been, you know, breaking the stages down 
with the, you know, where to reload, mm-hmm. you know, you can say, you know, yeah, every time you move, but you know, there's, there's merits to both, you know, maybe you, yeah. you, know, you know, maybe you, you know, one stage we shot Sunday, I think I took two shots in one position and reloaded or shot and, you know, engaged two targets, four shots, you know, and then, yeah. and then reloaded. I've, I've done a, uh, I've done a load your gun and then immediately reload to get 11 because I had to run to 11 the next state, the next array. Yeah. I've done, you know, draw a load gun, shoot two, put a new mag in because you're, you know, you want that for the steel on the next one. Right. And yeah. Th- th- that was one of my things that I loved about it is one, it was a challenge. Two, I could run over and shoot an IDPA match with the same gun until I got my Tankfolio stock. <laughs> I could run over and shoot the exact same gun at, at the, at the other match. And at the time, of course, there wasn't enough, wasn't enough to go around. So you had to, you know, you had to try all the, you know, you couldn't eat McDonald's every day. You had to go, go try Hardee's once. <laughs> um, if you wanted to shoot that weekend. Right. So yeah, I, I definitely, I like it. And I'll tell you, I've shot a couple U.S. Ipsic matches and it doesn't change it that much. I thought it would change it more. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. See, I, I really don't have too much of a feeling about, you know, and, and this is going to sound bad. It's going to sound like I'm trying to, you know, stand on the fence being a, a presidential candidate, but um, I don't really have an opinion either way. Same thing. I, you know, it doesn't really matter to me whether we do 2011s or not in carry optics it, it doesn't matter to me i'm still going to shoot my same p320 with a all right with a romeo one on it i'm not going to go spend a whole ton of money on a on new setups right uh, the flashlight thing i thought was nutty and I, I shoot a flashlight on my gun because i carry a flashlight on my gun um and i will tell you that if you are shooting at full speed that a flashlight makes your gun dip if you're used to shooting a gun without a flashlight <laughs> uh, but if you're used to it if you're used to it it doesn't have any difference but right. if, you're, if you're used to shooting a gun without a flashlight, your gun, your muzzle will dip. <laughs> um, so yeah, oh, I can't put a flashlight on the tan folio anyway. So oh yes, you can. You just got to be willing to drill and tap that frame. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate or recommend that. But, um, so yeah, that's I. I, I like looking at things. I like to, to have an idea of where things may be going. Um, I have some opinions how I think they're going to go, but the bottom line is whatever our customers ask for, the only thing that I will promise that if I am elected, I will not be doing anything without a first, a comment period. And second, a time of that being a provisional division. Right. Well, and that's what they did with PCC. Yes, they did that. You know, uh, that's what they did with production and limited 10 too. They both were spent a year as a provisional division. Yeah. I mean, I remember when PCC was a provisional division. Mm-hmm. And uh, so was Carry Optics. Yeah, I remember that too. Um, so, yeah, I think we have a, a, a good process there. We just have to follow that process and be open about what we're doing. I agree. Uh, so do you have any, any recommendations you'd tell people with Red Hill Tactical Holsters or a sponsor code you want to share? Or My like sponsor code, if you go online to uh, place an order, is KBaker10, 10% discount. 
Um, I use Red Hill Tactical Holsters exclusively. Uh, I've got the competition, actually two competition holsters for the for the Tanfo. Um, so what do yours look like? Because that's my problem. I never know what to order. What's that? <laughs> what, are the, what, what do your holsters look like? Well, so the my carry holster, I've got the inside the waistband. Um, and I, I just like mine. I just usually do like the carbon fiber gray mm -hmm. or, you know, light color gray carbon fiber on the single layer holsters. The double layers, I'll have some variation of blue and gray just because, you know, the gun's silver and uh, it's got blue grip panels and. I don't know something with the blue and gray. I wasn't, yeah, wasn't, wasn't in the Navy or law enforcement, but <laughs> <laughs> something about the blue and gray looks right together. So. You know, I do that too, but I had uh, the blue and gray and then blue and white were my high school colors and my college colors. So <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I have, uh, I have a, I have a hundred dollar bill holster for my three gun holster because money penny. Yeah. Uh, and then I got a, <laughs> then right before all this holster nonsense happened immediately, uh, I have I can't, I have a my range is on a farm and it's it's 700 acres between me and some cousins and then the next farm up is about 300 so I mean there's only a handful of us out there so there's more coyotes and coons and right uh, crazy and, and bears and stuff that you want a gun for so in the wintertime, I thought you know I'm gonna start just carrying my light on my gun I got yeah. a, I got a cool little light that wasn't very big or very heavy. So I went ahead and I ordered a holster and I got one of the Carpe Noctrum Seize the Night holsters. Yeah. Like, well, that's cute. That'll that'll make good pictures. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh man, you knew some you knew something we didn't know. And I'm like, no, no, no. Do you guys need to borrow my holster for nationals? I didn't know anything. Literally, I just ordered a holster. I said, now it also it's also cut for a, a suppressor barrel because I have suppressors on my guns that I carry. Right. Um, so I can just slip it on. But uh yeah, so nobody took me up on that, but yeah, we were in a dire need for holsters there for a, a nationals in two or three months. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think you know that's why I'm always curious. What what is your holster? Because I don't know, I don't even know what I'm. I'm getting one of the uh, push button holsters, the hood latch ones. Yep. Um, I have no. Oh, everybody on Sunday was asking me about those. Everybody, they're like, "Where's the button? Where's the button? Where's?" I was like. I was like, I don't have one. <laughs> I don't have. I don't a light. have a flashlight. Damn it! I don't have a rail. <laughs> exactly. It's like I'm not. It's like there's no flashlight on the tanfo. There's no button on the holster. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've got uh, I've got one of the I've got one Titan Tuck that's got the uh, it's got the the bomber girl on it and nice. uh, that uh, carry my carry my Glock 45 in when I decide I want to carry that, which, you know, that for that gun being as big as it is, that holster keeps it, keeps it well. And it's easy to conceal under. It a, is know, aptly named. Yeah. So. Very cool. So is there anything else you'd like to tell us about you or any closing comments you'd like to make? No, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to, uh, be on the podcast with you and uh you know appreciate hearing what you uh what your vision for the future of the organization is and uh you know look look forward to the look forward to the season and seeing everybody out there and uh you know look forward to the uh election when when uh when they decide to have it it's uh ballot should be mailed out in may good deal i think the middle I'll of be may, watching. So, may, may mid-may through mid-june 
And then uh, I really see there being a runoff uh, in the fall, which will be August-ish. But uh, paperwork's got to be in by April 1st. I'm all set up, and so are most of the other guys that I knew were running. So right. it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. But I'd like to thank you for coming on, and thank you for bearing with me through some technical difficulties here. Absolutely. Uh, and until the next time, we'll see you on the range. Absolutely, Steve. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, sir.